Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, welcome back in off of what was a phenomenal football watching weekend on TV. We are ready to discuss all of that and more on the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am merely the somewhat competent, somewhat capable host. He is the purveyor, the owner, the operator, the guy that you read all the time on SportsMediaWatch.com. John Lewis is back aboard for another edition of the podcast. Uh, Good to be back with you. Good to be televising football if you're one of the major networks uh, from the NFL from this past weekend. Not one, not two, not three, but four dramatic last-second finishes translated very well with the audience. John, good to be with you. Good to get rolling here on another podcast. Good to be with you as well. Can't wait to start talking about the weekend. Yeah, there was a lot to obviously cover. One quick reminder, however you found us, social media link through John's fantastic site, sportsmediawatch.com. Whether uh, you're just new to the program or whatever, you need to make sure you're following or subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, search sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Follow us and subscribe. We're usually out early during the week. More and more of you are hearing us. We had a nice audience bump last week. Spread the word socially, but also subscribe. It comes automatically to you. You'll get the notification. As I like to say, John, ding if it's on ding. If it's on silence, you'll get the vibration or the blinking light. Hey, there's a new podcast from TJ and John uh, that is uh, ready to go with the media takes and the insight and the ratings and all of the stuff. So there we go. Disclaimer out of the way. Let's get right back into it. Cincinnati last second field goal win in Nashville. San Francisco last second field goal win Saturday night in Green Bay. Do I have to say it? L.A. Rams eliminate my defending champion Buccaneers in Tampa Sunday last second field goal. And it looked at least for a... (laughs) a bit that Josh Allen had won the game for the Buffalo Bills in Kansas City to eliminate the AFC defending champion Chiefs, only to have what can happen in 13 seconds, only to have Patrick Mahomes get them into field goal range in the final 13 seconds on CBS and the game go into overtime and the Chiefs win it on a touchdown. John, again, once more, they could not have diagrammed this. They could not have fantasized a better crazy end to those four games and the TV programming for all of the networks that were involved. Again, your thoughts. Well, you know, I mean, the NFL is a great television product in a way that its competitors simply can't, you know, uh, measure up to in any way. You think about it on paper, this was not the greatest set of divisional round games from the standpoint of, Obviously, you would have wanted Tampa Bay versus Dallas. You know, uh, Cincinnati uh, versus Tennessee is not really ideal on paper. 
you know, so there were, it wasn't necessarily perfect on paper, but obviously that's why they play the games and the games were all, uh, all of them were great. Uh, the worst game of the weekend was probably Rams and Bucks just because it was 27, three for so long. And it ended up being an instant classic. So, you know, look, uh, there's no other league that is consistently putting out great games like the NFL and the NFL also, you know, whenever the NBA has great games, you know, half of Twitter is saying it's rigged. And, you know, uh, the NFL doesn't really have that same problem, right? So uh, this is a league that, you know, you go back four years and you had every person who had a political ax to grind trying to pretend that because there was a year where the NFL's ratings were down, the league was dying out. I mean, there were literal headlines in actual newspapers about, you know, the NFL is dying. I mean, it's just incredible. And, you know, the ratings were down for like one year, right? Right. Uh, the NFL is a tremendous television product and uh, there's really no end in sight to its dominance. And uh, I, I would say that the, all the culture warriors who are trying to pretend the NFL's ratings uh, speed bump in 2017 was a big crisis. I'm hopeful that the current numbers will mean we don't ever have to listen to those folks again, even if the ratings go down again in a few years, because the NFL, it's capable of in any given year, having the kind of performance that it's had this year. Uh, and so, you know, uh, even more so than the other sports, uh, doubting the NFL is a tremendously foolish thing to do. The kind of thing that maybe, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna say it should hurt anyone's credibility, but I will say that the people who were prominently saying that the NFL was in trouble with its ratings several years ago, I wouldn't think that those people should be listened to on Absolutely. any sports ratings topic in the near future. Well put. Dismiss them is the way to put that. Let's yeah. put it in context. I, I saw this released uh, off the Fox broadcast of the 49ers dramatic comeback win. They blocked the punt. They get the last second field goal to beat Green Bay. The, the largest audience on any Saturday night primetime TV program of any kind going back to the 1994 Lillehammer Winter Olympics on CBS. Hello. Give me some more context on that, John. Well, uh, you know, uh, Mulva Hill at Fox put this out today. You know, I'm sure he was quite glad to. Um, and uh, at first I was like, well, let me make sure this is true because it sounded a little <laughs> bit, you know. So, I went back and looked, I looked at the Olympics charts uh, and uh, I looked at London in 2012, which did really well. None of them did as well. I went to, you know, Salt Lake City, you know, two, you know, a U.S. Olympics didn't do as well. I actually don't have in front of me the Atlanta numbers, but I'm going to assume if Salt Lake City and London didn't do as well, Atlanta, which was actually a fairly modest draw for being a U.S. based Olympics, I would figure that wouldn't do as well either. And then there's nothing else on a Saturday night that would, you know, only the NFL, right? So uh, it's it's a tremendous number, Saturday night, 36.9 million viewers. I will say it is probably the case that if out-of-home viewership had existed in, in the Nielsen numbers uh, before 2020, it's probably the case that even Rams uh, Cowboys back in uh, uh, 19 would have done better because that game actually had a better rating. So 49ers uh, Packers had a 17.8 rating. Remember, out of home is not part of the rating. It's only part right. of the viewer. So that Cowboys-Rams game from back in 19, probably, if you include out of home, had more viewers, right? 
So keep that in mind. Um, and certainly when you're going back to Packers Cardinals in 2016, that had a full ratings point higher, 18.8, uh, but 33.7 million viewers, again, not including anything out of home, right? If you go back to, uh, you know, uh, the, the year with Tebow, I believe that was a particularly high number on the Saturday night as well. So realistically, there have probably been Saturday night sporting events in the NFL that have had bigger numbers uh, than Saturday's game. But we don't know because Nielsen was not tracking out of home at that time. So uh, this game gets that record. Not able to quantify it the same way. Tebow's year would have been the 2012 uh, season with a dramatic playoff win over the Steelers. Uh, again, just remarkable. You knew that this was going to happen. I'm curious because I don't know the answer. You're sifting through all of this. This is what you do, John. The NBC broadcast of Rams Buccaneers, again, had such uh, so many different subplots. You had the Los Angeles market obviously involved later on in the day. What's usually the second window of NFL games on Sunday? Tom Brady involved with the Bucks going for a repeat. How did that game do? relative not just to previous um, divisional round games maybe, but did it did it do considerably better than what regular season has with the split feed and all the games in the afternoon? Because it was only one game, only on NBC in the Sunday afternoon window. No, that's an interesting question because realistically, and you know, I mean, how do you figure out how many viewers are watching during the afternoon? So if you were to take, let's take a look at what was the most watched afternoon game on a Sunday during the regular season. I think it was Chiefs versus uh, Dallas, 28 million uh, in the late window on Fox in, in week 11. So, you know, then you have to figure out, well, how many people were watching in the single header, the late games on CBS in that same window? Right. It's impossible to figure that out. If you were to combine, you know, the single header, Totally, which includes a lot of one o'clock games, you'd actually get to 39 million, but you know that most of the viewers were in that one o'clock window. So I don't know. Um, it's actually an interesting question. We underestimate how well that afternoon window does in the NFL. Um, there's definitely been a couple of weeks where that one o'clock game was really strong on both Fox and CBS. And if you were to add them together, you're getting into that 30 something million range. But again, you know, that includes four o'clock windows. That single header makes it difficult to quantify because, you know, the single header, some of them are at one, some of them are at four, and you don't really know who in that number is watching at one or at four. Right. Good point on that. Uh, but again, you had the L.A. TV market for the West Coast. You didn't have the Cowboys. We understand that. You didn't have Mahomes and the Chiefs until later. Uh, I'm just, and what a dramatic finish. Obviously, again, it pains me to bring this up because I'm part of the Buccaneers radio uh, broadcast. I was right down there on the field, right beside Michelle Tafoya for John and the audience uh, doing the game on NBC sideline and also Mike Golick freelance with Westwood one, the former ESPN personality. He was the sideline guy for Westwood one. And we're looking at each other and everybody else and the players around us while the bucks come back from 27 to three down 27, 13 down in the fourth quarter. And you almost had the sense if, if they can get the ball back to Tom Brady, one more time, like the chiefs did for Patrick Mahomes, that it was going to be the storybook in for the Buccaneers didn't happen. The Rams got the storybook in. I just wonder for that six Eastern time hour, like the final half hour that had to be a massive, massive number for NBC uh, for their final playoff game before the Super Bowl that they have coming up just, just on the dramatic finish to say the least. 
Yeah, well, uh, I don't think they put out the uh, the peak. I will say that was about 38 million on TV. NBC includes their streaming data, the additional streaming numbers that Nielsen's not tracking. And that actually brings it to 40 million for them. Wow. So, you know, just a tremendously high number uh, and their best, their best audience yet for any NFL game other than the Super Bowl since they got back into the business in 2006. So well done uh, for them. And they paid, obviously, extra playoff money for extra playoff games on NBC and even in a Super Bowl year. Uh, interesting that your colleague, uh, John uh, Andrew Marchand, uh, put in the New York Post that he thought that Jim Nance and Tony Romo didn't do a very good job with calling the mayhem, the chaos of the end of the Buffalo uh, matchup with Kansas City. However, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth had been on earlier, and I know I've talked with several that said, man, Al Michaels still, as, as you like to say, still has the fastball, even at this stage leading into the Super Bowl. Do you have any comment or any input there on Marchand's take of, of the calls of Romo and Nance versus Michaels and, and Collinsworth when they had similar crazy finishes? Because again, the Rams, to recap, complete a long pass, have to get the clock stopped to try to get the winning field goal at the end of regulation. And Al Michaels, I've heard the call, is right on it with everything that's happening. And now they got to get the clock stopped. And can they do it? Um, it was uh, it was wild. Any, any thought from you on the calls of the game from those broadcasters, those big-time broadcasters? Well, you know, I thought it was fine. I didn't notice anything when I was watching that jumped out as, oh, wow, this is a bad broadcast. I know Romo grates on people and the nature of this business and social media as well is that Romo will eventually be hated, right? I mean, he's going to eventually be flat out hated, all right? We're going to circle back around in about 10 years and people are going to hate him the way that they hated Phil Sims. That's just the way it goes, um, you know. Sometimes, you know, does Romo lay it on a little thick sometimes? I mean, we used to say that about Dick Vitale, right? right. You know, and it's interesting in this industry, the way we, uh, and I don't, I don't exclude myself, the way that we are very critical of people who are very boisterous and people who bring a lot of energy. It can be Gus Johnson, who I've been critical of. Uh, it can be Dick Vitale. It can be Chris Berman, who has been roundly criticized his whole career. The late Stuart Scott, let's be real. Everyone just memory holds the fact that Stuart Scott was criticized Berman style really right up until he got sick. And that was what changed a lot of people's discussion of him. But he was, people really would light into him. And again, I was critical of Stuart as well, right? So, you know, sometimes we have to kind of take a, take a step back and say, well, we do this every single time. Every single time we look at someone and we say, ah, this guy's getting on my nerves. And then something happens to them. They get older, like Dick Vitale. They get sick, like Stuart did. And then we realize, you know what? We've been too hard on this person. We maybe, maybe we didn't see what they were trying to do. And instead of letting it get to that point, maybe we just appreciate them in the moment, right? Uh, and so to me, with Romo, I get why people would find him a little, a little much, but you know, okay, well, football's a little much. The whole thing is a little much, right? I mean, this is all very, very ridiculous what we do here. 
one so of Mar- if I interject, one of Marshawn's criticisms was that Romo wasn't giving enough of the analysis, that it was almost, I'm paraphrasing here, almost too much fan-like and ooing and eyeing and not enough of the analysis of what's going on and follow-up and that kind of thing, that that, was a, that that was a factor there on that. I was thinking, too, when you were saying this, Kirk Herbstreet, who's been the lead college football analyst now 20-plus years for ESPN slash ABC on the biggest games, the national title games, the Rose Bowl, again, through social media, you see there's a lot of disdain for him. No matter what program you're a fan of, you seem to think he's against you or you don't like how he calls a game. I guess some of that has to do with once you've been doing it for a long time, it just it it kind of grows on some people the wrong way. It becomes stale. It becomes whatever. He's just a name I thought of when you were saying that as well, John. Yeah. And I mean, Herb Street doesn't do himself any favors because he keeps wading into all of these divisive issues. I mean, I understand you want to speak out. It's very difficult to keep your mouth shut about things that you are interested in. But, you know, I mean, uh, Kirk is a little bit different because I think with Kirk, uh, it's more that he seems very negative at times and like almost like he's, uh, you know, becoming a little bit more churlish and short tempered, you know, which I, I think. I mean, am I wrong? I think, I mean, that seems to be to be the big problem with, with Herb Street. Not that he's bringing too much enthusiasm, but kind of the opposite, uh, which, by the way, happens with age, right? I mean, we can just look at the Oval Office and, and see someone uh, referring to a reporter in a certain way, right? But, you know, look, um, I, I think ultimately the longer you stick around, the more people will decide they don't like you unless your name is Bill Raftery. Hey, that's a great, a great analogy. Everybody loves Raft. And by the way, on the day that we're taping this podcast, I should just mention this. John uh, does a great job sometimes of unbeknownst uh, to, to anybody, including himself, of setting me up with a segue. And he has done that here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Today, the, the day that we're taping it is January the 25th. January 25th, 1988 is arguably the most famous, iconic Bill Raftery call of them all. Jerome Lane smashing the glass backboard at uh, Pitts, uh, the Pittsburgh's uh, gymnasium, not the big basketball arenas downtown, but they're on campus gymnasium. He smashed the backboard, leading Bill Raftery on the ESPN Big East call to say, send it in, Jerome, after it was over with, because they didn't know what to do after he had smashed the backboard and the game was delayed some 20 or 30 minutes till they found another basketball goal and cleaned up the glass. I do not want to admit that that was 34 years ago. At the time we're doing this podcast, that was January 25th, 1988. And John Lewis, I encourage you and encourage the audience, if you want a little Where's Waldo, if you want a little a fun scavenger hunt, the guy that makes the pass to Jerome Lane in the famous moment is Sean Miller, the former basketball coach at Arizona and Xavier. He was a basketball point guard at Pitt. He was on the team in 88. He makes the pass to Jerome Lane. It's much more famous for what Lane did after the pass right. with the dunk. Yeah. But send it in, Jerome, is 34 years old. And Bill Raftery has been an iconic basketball announcer, you're right, for going on 40 years, really, at ESPN. Yeah, I think it helps that, you know, that's the role that Billy Packer had, and people really, really could not take Billy <laughs> Packer anymore by the end. So. <laughs> You know, I mean, uh, look, when it comes down to it, it's really hard to be liked in social media. We call social media Twitter, but 
Twitter, you know, we've had social media forever. We've had it with forums and I've been on, you know, the real GMs, the inside hoops, all these things way before Twitter. And the tenor has always been the same. People are very angry, very bitter, and they are using their forum to lash out and to try and spread their anger and bitterness around. And and using their anonymity, by the way. Things yeah. that they yeah. would never say to Kirk Herbstreet in person or Dick Vitale in person yeah. or making fun of any announcer. Stuart Scott, like you were, they would never say that to them in person. But no. you're hiding behind the anonymity of a keyboard or a phone uh, keypad, yeah. and there you go. Yeah, look, I mean, the fact is that was a lot of the blogosphere too for a long, for a long time. And I'm not going to, again, I, I, tr I try to not position myself as some kind of, you know, exalted saint or anything like that. Certainly, I look back and say, man, I wish I wasn't as mean on when I said this or that or, you know, any of these things. Um, but, uh, you know, it's hard to, I mean, it's tough because you don't want to do what they, what's, what's happened now in entertainment which is that every single article is some love letter to an actor telling them how special they are and how brave they are and how incredible they are. I mean, I would never want the industry to turn into that. But, you know, you also don't want to go back to, you know, the worst era of, you know, I mean, like not to single out anybody, but I think we all know that uh, Deadspin was a little uh, cruel at times, right? You know, Not just a little, they were a lot cruel. Yeah. I mean, I mean you don't want you don't want to go back to that either. I think uh, you know, it's it, it's tough. You want to hold people accountable. And by the way, I'm not I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here. It's talking okay. about a beyond just uh, Marshawn. Marshawn's criticisms are fair. Uh, I might not necessarily agree with them, but they're fair. But you know, I mean, you got to figure out a way to not be reflexively critical while also not at the same time, you know, genuflecting before people as well and finding that middle ground where you, it's, you know, constructive criticism, which I think is always very useful. Uh, and uh, hopefully as time goes on, because I do think there was a bit of an overcorrection, let's be real, because everyone was super cruel in the 2000s, uh, just across the board, beyond sports. You look at the way people talked about people like Britney Spears and, and you know, with Brittany Murphy and, and all of these actors who were struggling and people were just mocking them mercilessly. And things were horrendously cruel back then. People right. were, were beyond words with their viciousness. I do think there's been an overcorrection to this era now where you know, someone says an actor didn't do a good job in a role. And, you know, who was it? Was it Sorkin who, who flipped out and, and, and was so offended? It's like, come on. Come on. Actors are the absolute worst with this, by the way. I mean, I, I can't believe what's happening in entertainment. It's, it's insufferable. But, you know, uh, so there was definitely an overcorrection, but there needed to be a correction. Good stuff on all of this, because you're right. Uh, there is uh, there is a critic part of it where you're being critical for reasons that are part of the job. You didn't do as well as you should have here or there. And the overcorrection is public relations, where we're just mm -hmm. puffing you up, which is what you're saying, whether you deserve it or not. So that's, uh, I think that's fair, and I think that's valid. You mentioned Dick Vitale, and while we have a moment here with John Lewis on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast, we again send our get well wishes to him, Dick revealing on social media uh, back on Monday afternoon that he got a, uh, a checkup, a latest update on his vocal cords, problems with lymphoma cancer, problems with the chemotherapy and radiation treatment that he has undergone. 
problems with his vocal cords. He's been advised by his specialists. He's got several that he needs to stop talking. That is almost like saying to Picasso, not that I'm an art guy or Rembrandt or whoever, you can't have a brush anymore. Dick Vitale can't have a voice right now. So he has been having to rest his voice. John, the update from him was his doctors say the voice is improved, but not well enough for him to resume being Dick Vitale on the air. So he has announced in conjunction with ESPN, he will not be part of any more of their basketball coverage for the remainder of this year. He did return briefly in December and do some games, including the Duke Gonzaga game in Las Vegas, but he will not be doing any games. The rest of the year will not be part of any of their coverage the rest of the year. Part of, part of me hurts in the heart that Dick Vitale can't be part of that. Now that's just saying in terms of him being able to talk, Dick is still alive. He's around. He's posting on social media. It's not like he's gone. So what are your thoughts? That's me saying that there about the Dick Vitale announcement, John. Well, you know, I mean, it's a very tough situation for him. It's certainly not the first time. He missed a lot of time in 2007 with a very similar issue uh, on the vocal cords. You know, you think about it. Uh, I mean, it's just, it, it's nobody's fault. There's nothing you could do. But you also think about the decades he spent screaming over the din of a, of a college crowd and you know, uh, everyone makes money in this business, but it's probably not the most helpful uh, business in the world, right? Uh, I've talked to play-by-play people and they talk about the travel and, you know, getting on the plane late after a game and you're eating terrible food because you're hungry and you've got the adrenaline. You know, I mean, it's just not a, it's not a helpful business, that's for sure. But everyone knows the score going in. Um, you know, uh, hopefully he'll be able to come back and work some games. But, you know, imagine, I mean, diagnosed with two separate forms of cancer and then this vocal cord issue, having to have surgery all in the span of one year when you're in your eighties, it's a very difficult yep. uh, thing. So uh, hopefully he'll be able to uh, use that uh, uh, optimism that he always talks about to get him through uh, what's probably the most difficult time of his life. Yeah. And, and again, in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic and all the scare and concern with that as well, we can't overemphasize enough. Uh, there's a great outpouring in the area where I am, John, here in the Tampa Bay area, because Dick is by extension in Sarasota, just south of Tampa and St. Pete. Uh, he is a phenomenal ambassador for West Central Florida to begin with, but pediatric cancer, the V Foundation, the hope is that Dick will be able to be at his May event, the latest Dick Vitale Gala for benefiting the Jimmy V Foundation in cancer research and pediatric cancer. They have raised hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for pediatric, pediatric cancer in particular off of what he's done with his gala. He's hoping to be able to be there. But just in the broader sense, again, I'm older than you, John. In the 1980s, Dick Vitale was the Pied Piper of college basketball that made ESPN's college coverage and college basketball coverage into what it is right now, where there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games on every week and every month. He was the trailblazer. He wasn't the only thing, but he was a huge part of that. So get well soon, Dickie V. I know you sharing that with me, John, no, no matter if he grates on you when he's doing the analysis, too much of a love fest for Coach K, too much of a love fest for John Calipari. Uh, I thought it was neat. He gathered his team, Calipari, on Monday before they play a Tuesday night game on ESPN. He gathered them for a social media hello message from all of the players standing in their practice gym. And then they all started doing their Dick Vitale impersonations. It's awesome, baby. You're a diaper. Dad. They were all waving to him. What a neat thing on the outpouring let's, I know you agree with me. Let's just hope Dick gets better. Love to see him back. 
Yeah, and you know it means a lot to him. I mean, you saw that when he made his debut in the season. Uh, there's not not everyone would be so emotional in that moment because it is it is just a job to a lot of people, justifiably so, right? It's just a job. But uh, for Vital, there's a level of appreciation there that I think is uh, a little different uh, than than what you see with most people. Absolutely, and the passion for college basketball has been there for 45 years from him, and will always be there. Uh, for Dick Vitale, and you see that through and through for the game, the love of the game and the game being televised. Okay, I think we have reached the point, and we've got several subjects to cover. Get ready, folks. Here we go. Love it or leave it. All right, number one, the uh, NBA coverage on TNT. John, you were recently on a media call with Dwayne Wade and Candace Parker. Uh, this is for part of their addition to the TNT Tuesday night broadcast, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Love it or leave it. What did you find out on that conference call there? Well, you know, it was just an interesting. Uh, they're, they're doing this for, I think, the third straight year. They've been uh, doing this with uh, Adam Lefko and Shaq. And uh, it was just uh, interesting to get their thoughts on why they believe that the Tuesday night show is able to stand on its own and not be compared as ESPN show so often is to inside the NBA. And ultimately, you know, it was a smart move by Turner to kind of just let them be themselves and not have them fit into that role of, well, someone's got to be the Charles, someone's got to be the Kenny, right? Uh, I think that was a, a very smart move by them, uh, uh, by Turner, to, to not set them up to fail by trying to do what we've seen ESPN and even NBC, given the longevity of of inside the NBA do in the past, right? NBC brought in Jason Williams to be Charles Barkley. And that obviously wasn't working. And then it really didn't work after Jason Williams had that incident over All-Star Weekend, right? So, you know, uh, letting people come in and just be themselves and not trying to match the tone of inside the NBA, but just creating your own, your own separate tone, I think has worked out pretty well for them. And Ultimately, it's uh, it's a pretty good watch, the Tuesday show. It's very different than Inside. Basically, Inside, as much as everyone loves it, it's a bit like the Supreme Court at this point, right? Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's a fantastic show. It is always watchable, but you want players, you know, it's, it's good to have players who played since 2000, right, on, on, on a show. And all the respect in the world of Charles and Kenny, two of the greats, uh, you know, Kenny's not an all-time great in that way, but, you know, he hit like six threes in game one of the finals back in 95. He's mm -hmm. better than people realize. Uh, so great players, great players. But I think the Tuesday show also works because everyone's a little bit younger, you know, and that's not trying to be, it's a very ageist business. There's nothing wrong with having folks who are a little bit older and inside is still the best show on the air. But it's good to have a version of it that can maybe appeal a little bit more to people who have played more recently and don't have that reflexive dislike of the modern game that Charles often allows himself to have. So I think the Tuesday show works uh, for those reasons. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, they're, they're very good. They've got good chemistry as well, because you can have all the youth in the world. doesn't matter if they're not good. And if they're more uh, relevant uh, players, more recent players, which Dwayne Wade obviously is, they're going to appeal maybe to younger fans. Perfect example. You didn't know this, uh, but here's a good segue to just real quick. The end of the Buccaneer season obviously came in my radio duties. I'm down doing a couple of player interviews when things were ending. 
As everything was over, Mike Evans, the outstanding receiver of the Buccaneers, is done with his media obligations, and he's a tremendous fan of basketball in the NBA. He's walking by me in a Dwayne Wade number three Marquette jersey from when Dwayne Wade played at Marquette. And I begin to contemplate, John Lewis, that Mike Evans had to be probably in grade school, maybe in the fifth grade or the sixth grade when Dwayne Wade was last at Marquette, maybe not even that old. Mike's probably 26, 27, so 2002, 2003, you start doing the math and going backwards. Am I getting that old? But there was there was Mike Evans in a D. Wade Marquette jersey going all the way back to his college days when he led them to the Final Four. So good stuff on all of that. Another subject, let's get to it. Love it or leave it. You said last week on this SportsMediaWatch.com podcast that NBC should leave it, should leave the announcers behind, and largely they are going to leave their Olympic announcers behind for the upcoming games in Beijing, the Winter Olympics that are about to start shortly, right before the Super Bowl. John, follow-up thoughts here on what NBC has now since announced. It's not all of the announcers. There will be some in China, but most are not there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, look, this Olympics is a huge waste of NBC's time in terms of investment. Now, it will get better ratings than the shows NBC airs that nobody watches, right? It'll get better ratings than I can't even name any of these shows that they've got. But it's, I mean, you know, there's no reason for NBC to try to make this seem special. One, I just don't think the Olympics has it anymore. I think starting in Pyeongchang, even before COVID, there was something about that Olympics that seemed really small, like it wasn't a mass event, like it was just kind of something that was on. Uh, Some of that is honestly NBC's own production. They've gone away from some of the traditional opens they used to do back in, you know, they used to do those uh, kind of ornate opens, the long uh, you know, Olympic theme over the vistas of the whole city. And then Costas comes in with this great monologue and it builds for crescendo. And then I remember in 2018, there was like one, one open they did that was just like pop music and like, what, what is this, right? This is not the Olympics. And, you know, look, I mean, I, I'm always talking about Tariko as if he's not as good. I, I want to give Mike Tariko his respect. He's one of the best in the business. The reality is that when you're trying to fill the shoes of Bob Costas and Al Michaels, it's going to be really hard. Good right? luck. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I don't mean any disrespect to Chirico, who is one of the greats in the business, one of the best ever. But, you know, Costas to Chirico is a downgrade. It is because Costas is the best Olympic host other than Jim McKay that there's ever been. So Costas to Chirico is a downgrade. Look, Jordan to LeBron is probably a downgrade. I'm not willing to concede that, but it's probably a downgrade. Doesn't mean LeBron isn't still one of the greatest of all time. Right. Right. I'm I'll help saying- you. I'll help you. It is a downgrade. Jordan is Jordan for all time. Anybody else comparing to that? I'll just, I, the modern era wants to be in love with the modern players, LeBron and Kobe. They weren't going to beat Michael Jordan in his day. It just wasn't going to happen. I just throw that in on your love it or leave it. Finish up there on this about NBC, please. Well, I think that's probably a correct opinion, but I don't think it's definitive enough for me to say outright. I'm just saying. You don't have to say it if you don't want to. I'm just helping you. I know. Uh, know. You got your opinion. Go ahead. But, you know, ultimately, Tariko, as great as he is, 
going from Costas to Tariko is a downgrade. The same way that going from Al Michaels to Tariko is going to be a downgrade. And that's not a reflection of Tariko. It's a reflection of how good Bob Costas and Al Michaels have been. So, you know, the Olympics just doesn't, it's not big anymore. I mentioned last week the simple reality that the players are not interesting anymore. The most interesting figure skaters in the Olympics are Tara Lipinski and Johnny, Johnny Weir. They're the most interesting ones. On the coverage, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it, it used to be like that. I, I said it last week and I'll say it again. Nobody knows this. Figure skating used to be really big and not just with Nancy and Tanya. It used to be legitimately big. I was watching an old NBA on NBC uh, video yesterday that had all the ads in it. So it was like an, a game from the 90s and it had all the ads. And one of the ad breaks, it was like uh, defending champion, you know, I don't know, Yevgeny, somebody versus uh, Kurt Browning next week, figure skating on NBC. Like they would actually promote it like that. They would promote the figure skating like it was the NBA. It was big. It's, it's not even close to big anymore, man. It's not even close to big. Uh, so, um, you know, and what else is there in uh, the Winter Olympics other than figure skating? What, hockey without the uh, American men? Without the NHL players, right, right. Yeah, I think, uh, I think maybe the women's hockey might do all right. But, I mean, let's be real. You know, I know the name Hillary Knight. I know the name Kendall Coyne Schofield. I'm not even sure if she's on the team. Right. Uh, I'm not sure, but like, you know, we're not talking about there's just no name recognition anywhere. So it does hurt it. You're right. The storylines, uh, it's it's hurt it some. Remember, we had Apollo Ono and, and we went we were introduced yeah. to short track speed skating because of that. But really, ultimately, the figure skating is a tremendous draw, especially with the female audience and is there american is there an american that can contend especially an american female uh, that can contend for so many years the winter olympics always does not do as well because we're not as good in the skiing sports and all the other sports as the yeah. summer olympics with the track or the basketball or the swimming or the different things that we always seem to do well in uh, for those and it is interesting Mike Tirico was just the Olympic host just last fall last September the year yeah. delayed Tokyo Olympics also in the Far East and now he comes right back around about six seven months later and he's doing the Winter Olympics here in China for that upcoming in and around the Super Bowl also being on NBC we do have one more subject to cover love it or leave it Okay, we cover uh, as much as we can with John, whether, you know, like last week or at least recently talking about beef stew or chili or warm foods, comfort foods. Sometimes we talk about our, our certain movies, Christmas movies like Die Hard, uh, et cetera, because they have a Christmas setting. Now John is curious about wearables. He's looking to love it on a, on a different type of watch and device and whatever. I don't know if you have been influenced somehow by the Apple ads with all the people that have been beset by tragedy or problems or calamity and their Apple watch seemingly helps them save the day and save their life by calling 911. I don't know if that's influencing you, but it's love it or leave it. You're looking for a love it on a, on a wearable, right? Yeah. Well, I'm not getting the Apple watch. I hate those commercials, you know, <laughs> so uh, that's, that's right out the bat. Uh, you know, I mean, I find it very interesting, right? Athletes kind of have this uh, monopoly uh, almost on uh, knowing what's going on in their body. And the rest of us, we get these watches and it's just basically so what? We can have like a toy. So I, I think trying to get one that is uh, more like health focused is probably the way that I would try to go. 
Uh, I obviously the convenience of being able to answer your phone on your watch would be great, but you know, something more along the lines of, uh, you know, trying to make sure that when you're sleeping, you're not suffocating or something like that. That would be good. I think. (laughs) Yes, that would be good in terms of benefit. And I did, you know, uh, it's interesting because I have conversations again, I've got 13 year olds. We're watching those commercials. And one of them even said, and I, I don't mind sharing this. She said, do you think some of that is made up or exaggerated? And I said, well, there are standards with the advertising and whatever, and they could get into a lot of trouble if they are fabricating this and they're not putting a disclaimer, even in small print on the screen, not an actual call or actors used or whatever, like what you will see on some ads, some commercials uh, with testimonials or whatever, that that's a paid actor or it's not a real event or whatever it is. Uh, But yeah, that's an effective campaign. I'm not big on the wearable. I don't have anything other than a typical digital watch. I've always been that way. I I don't want people calling me on my arm, John Lewis. I don't need it. I I don't, I I don't want it. I don't need it, but you sound like you could love it. If it was the right one, at least to help you from a, from an exercise standpoint, an athletic standpoint, and maybe give you some NBA scores on top of that. Right. Well, no, honestly, just, I don't need all the smart stuff. You know, we are, we are far too connected. Uh, You know, one of the things that I uh, try to make sure I never install Twitter on my phone. Every tweet that I uh, post is always from the uh, computer. So uh, I, uh, I never use Twitter on the phone. You're in the small, small percentage on that, obviously good for you. I I haven't installed, I haven't installed the Twitter app on any phone I've used in a long time. Uh, So uh, for me, you know, I try to keep that stuff away. Uh, I think uh, for, you know, I do want to, I mean, look, with phone calls, you got to answer the phone. I don't want to have to hustle and try to find where I put my phone. So that would be fun to be able to just answer it with the wrist. But uh, really, you know, it's an interesting thing because I think trying to balance wanting to track your health with, uh, you know, privacy considerations is always interesting. And, uh, you know, how far are these companies going to take all of this, Right. That's that's the other thing, you know, uh, they want to know everything about lot, you. You just hit on something great. A lot of people don't realize you are giving over more and more information about yourself to anybody that can use it however they want. And don't be surprised when you suddenly start getting marketed to because of what you've given them off your wristwatch, off your, not yeah. your wristwatch, but your Apple watch to pick on them again or any other uh, wearable watch that's connected to the internet somehow, some way. Uh, yeah, it's it's next level stuff on them gathering data on who's wearing it, how long they're wearing it, what they're doing while they're doing it. And you you better wake up and realize that's going to be sold and peddled to people as information on how to target them, on how to target this audience and and that kind of stuff. We can't get away from it anywhere. I'm trying to put gas in the car and I've got 15 different people talking to me at the gas pump that I don't even know digitally on the TV screen about everything. It's scary. Uh, What's there uh, with that, John Lewis. All right. uh, So we've come to the end of another sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Anything that I left out here before we have to go, anything else that you wanted to share or, uh, or relate? We head into championship weekend in the NFL with Cincinnati playing at Kansas City first, followed by the rematch again of San Francisco and the L.A. Rams, where the Rams are trying to play for the home game at SoFi Stadium in Super Bowl 56. Did we leave anything else out before we um, uh, wrap it up? Well, I'm going to be curious how happy Fox is with this matchup. All West Coast, Niners, Rams, not the highest profile teams, although they both made the Super Bowl within the last uh, four seasons. Uh 
you know, if it's a really good game, it should do well. I actually think the NFL's momentum might hit a speed bump because these are not great matchups on paper from a ratings perspective. I suspect that the Chiefs are not going to have trouble with the Bengals, right? I mean, am I way off on that? I, I just Cincinnati you know, did beat them for what it's worth at the end of the regular season in Cincinnati for whatever that's worth. This is now in Kansas City with everything on the line. I understand the point. Yeah, it just seems like the, the Bills were the test. It's like when the Lakers beat the Kings and then the Nets rolled over and four. I mean, you know, you never know. It might be a competitive game, but uh, that seems like it's not going to be that, that same level of quality that we saw last week. And then 49ers Rams, it's just not the great matchup on paper. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think Fox wanted this. I know that the 49ers and Rams have screwed up everything for Fox here because they wanted the Packers, the Cowboys or the Bucks. I mean, certainly two out of three in this title game. They get nobody out of that mm. group. So that, you know, um, don't expect the conference championship weekend to be the same kind of ratings bonanza that we saw in the divisional round, unless the games are amazing. And obviously, good games matter more than anything. It's very true. Very well put on that. We'll leave it right there. John, great stuff again from this week. Uh, always love the insight, and we encourage people to keep reading the site. Uh, etc and finding us on the podcast as the two go hand in hand thank you for the time here john lewis hey no problem there we go i'm merely tj reeves again follow or subscribe to this podcast apple podcast spotify google podcast it comes automatically to you usually early in the week read up on john site sportsmediawatch.com is where you find him and read him it's great stuff on the ratings the latest news some opinion uh, et cetera, et cetera, on sportsmediawatch.com. For now, we're done on the podcast. For John Lewis, I'm TJ Reeves. Thanks for listening. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.